Welcome to Human Stories with Jill Hazard-Rowe, where we explore humanity in all of its rounds. We are so excited to have Nathan Kunkel in the studio. Really happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Nathan got this really huge smile, and then he was like, oh, no, yeah, you have to talk. My turn to talk. Yeah. <laughs> so we're so excited to have you here and so excited for our Human Stories audience to hear your story. So with that, Nathan, I'm just going to turn the time right over to you. Okay. Well, I am grateful to be at a point in my life where I feel like I have the most expanded perspective I've ever had of my life as a whole mm-hmm. from the beginning until now and just uh, ex- access to emotional and mental access to every every part of my life that's led me here so this will be a really fun cool enlightening experience for me to talk about my journey yeah and you know it's it's always interesting a lot of times after guests leave the studio because we do feel like this is a very sacred room with the stories we hear they'll text me the next day or something and say i never realized how therapeutic that would be because so many times people's stories are shut down. Yeah. And so, you know, this is maybe the first time in your whole life that we're just going to validate and listen to your story as you teach us and tell us about it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, so I was born, I'll just start from the very beginning. Yeah. I was born in Lubbock, Texas in mm. 1990, April 30th, 1990. My dad was a professor at Texas Tech. Uh, I don't remember Texas because we moved when I turned three. We moved eastward to Auburn, Alabama. And I lived there until I was 11. So the, the bulk of my formative years were spent there. And those were until for the first three decades of my life, those were the happiest years of my life. I had zero shame, zero trauma, really, no family trauma, no religious trauma. I was just a free, happy, exuberant kid, and my parents didn't put parameters on my expression or behavior. I'm really fortunate that my dad is a psychologist and therapist and had a lot of knowledge of child psychology particularly so he he encouraged just free expression from me and my siblings and let us find our interests and supported our interests and didn't and doesn't experience a lot of you know fragile or toxic masculinity Mm -hmm. so when I express myself in a more feminine way as a kid he and my mom, to her credit, just let me and supported it. What kind of things did you do? <laughs> Tell us a story of <laughs> Nathan as a little boy. Uh, I loved and was obsessed with the Rodgers and Hammerstein Cinderella movie mm-hmm. that came out on TV in 1997 in which Brandy played Cinderella and Whitney Houston was the godmother. Oh, okay. And it was a very multiracial, diverse cast. It was very ahead of its time. Um, but I wanted to, I emulated 
Cinderella. Brandy specifically asked Cinderella and wanted to be her. So I watched it religiously and memorized all of her songs and dances and performed them. Are we ready to perform? I. You're not going to sing a song <laughs> for us, are you? I'm not. I probably forgot some of the words. Oh. But so would you dress up also and just have all her mannerisms and? Um, I would wear my dad's t-shirts and pretend they were dresses mm, <laughs> and nice. yeah have all of her mannerisms and and my parents filmed it you know my dad was an avid home like camcorder yeah uh documenter of our family so that's one example i also loved gymnastics mm-hmm. i took gymnastics for three years and from the ages of five to eight I would say and I said earlier that I had zero shame but I take that back I just remembered I was consistently the only boy in every one of my gymnastics classes and something from my own head or something I had heard from media or kids at school or society told me that there was shame in that so I begged and cried and asked my my parents to let me quit because I was embarrassed to be the only boy and they they uh persuaded me to continue it for a couple more years because this kept happening but finally when I turned eight I threw the temper tantrum of to end all temper tantrums and Mm -hmm. my mom was like okay I think he feels strongly about this (laughs) I've got the message (laughs) Yeah. yeah So they let me quit, which I regret now, but I actually took a four-week adult gymnastics course recently in September and October, and it was the most powerful inner, you know, inner child work I've done. I felt wow. like that that free child Nathan was back with me, like I was him and he was me now. It was cool. He gave Nathan permission to do that. Because obviously yeah. it sounds like you enjoyed it, but outside voices was telling you, oh, that's not something you should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a girl sport. That. It's a girl sport, which isn't true. No. But I think also being in Alabama and the Bible Belt, I was receiving all kinds of messages from, yeah, different sources. But yeah, I loved it. Um, so that's an example. I loved The Little Mermaid. I watched that compulsively. I was obsessed with Britney Spears at her peak and (laughs) memorized all the moves in her music videos. Uh, Yeah, I was just a a happy kid and very demonstrative. I told and showed everyone how I felt about them. I mean, I told my friends and family I loved them all the time and I cried freely and easily and... And I was very fortunate to, yeah, to not have any kind of abuse in my home. And that that time in my life means so much to me because now, ever since I came out, I have a recurring dream in which I'm back in my childhood home. And I just wander from room to room and reside in every space in that house and just absorb it and feel completely safe and comfortable and peaceful and I remember every detail of that house and I think it's what it represents to me it represents 
home. I mean, where I could just be at home physically, but also just within myself, and it was completely safe. So it's, I have a yearning as an adult to, to go back there. And... Well, childhood yeah. is like so short. Yeah. <laughs> In our lives, you know, and I think of the innocence of kids and when you're surrounded with good family and a safe family and, you know, how blessed you are that you had parents that let you express yourself in any way that you wanted to um, through dance, through song, through plays, through trying different um, sports that maybe weren't typically, you know, men dominated or whatever, boys. So, yeah, yeah that's a beautiful home and symbolic of a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. And it's not, it's not until adulthood where I've been able to fully conceptualize it, just how precious that was and how fleeting it was, as you said, and how that's the time I'll never get back, but I am doing the work to reintegrate it into my life now. And something else about myself as a kid is that I was very multifaceted. I wasn't just feminine and dancing and singing and prancing all day, although there's nothing wrong with that. And that was a very major part of my personality. But I was also into Nintendo and Pokemon and had friends who were boys. And we did just the typical boy stuff, but I had friends who were girls. And that, to me, um, shows that I'm, I just have I, I don't, I didn't, and I don't have one identity. I, I think I'm just a lover of life and a lover of humans, and I always have been. And as a kid, I had free reign to connect however and with whomever I wanted to at any time. And it's, it's refreshing and really comforting and reassuring to me to, to think back on that time mm -hmm. and... I love, I love that little boy. I love my childhood self. And he was, he was precious and perfect. And then, then the shame set in. When I turned 11, we moved from Alabama to Georgia, to uh, Carrollton, Georgia, where my dad was also a professor. So about an hour and a half away. But that's when I you know, started going through puberty and realized I was gay and I was attracted to other boys and not girls. And I also started middle school. And that's where I heard kids use the word gay in a pejorative way for the first time. And I also turned 12 in the Mormon church and read the Strength of Youth pamphlet and the section on sexual purity that said homosexuality is a sin. So all of those shame messages came just racing into me and I absorbed them completely and um, learned shame for the first time in my life. And that started an 18-year journey of being closeted and hidden from the world. And I just put that little boy away in a box, but it was even worse than that. I actively tried to forget him and ignore him. And 
run away from him. I don't want to, I don't want to think about, um, my, my feminine side and I just changed my whole demeanor and personality to fit, to assimilate to what, um, teenage boy in Georgia in the 2000s and Mormon should look like and act like and talk like. And it wasn't me, but I, I still, I still found happiness. I still made friends. I dated girls. Like I had girlfriends. I went to prom with, with girls. I actually felt butterflies for girls and kind of got into dating and would kiss girls and, you know, not all the time, but sometimes feel attracted and connected, like aroused in those moments. Um, but I, I mean, I'm totally gay, but I think I was just able to still explore that side of myself. And again, like I said, I think I'm just a lover of people and a lover of connection and intimacy. And it was pretty easy for me to play, play the part Mm -hmm. of a straight teenage boy. And I didn't dare tell anyone that I was gay. Um, I thought about telling my dad because he was a psychologist. And I, I think I knew in my heart that he was a safe person, but I was just too scared. I thought this is the biggest shameful secret. If anyone knew who, who I really was, they wouldn't want to be my friend. They would reject me and shun me. And I, I really believe that. You know, I'm thinking about being in the closet. It just hit me so strongly when you were talking about how until you were 11, you were just so carefree, just loved everything, people, probably animals, nature, anything, anything you could do, dancing without a thought, you know, Uh, you just felt complete joy. And when those moments came, when you were 11, 12, you know, I want my audience to think about what it's like to be in the closet. Because not only are you denying who you are, but you're also denying parts of you. The creativity part, the free spirit part, the, the love for life part. You're stuffing all of that in the closet so you can play some kind of role to fit society. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And it was, I think at some level it, it broke my heart and broke my spirit, but I, I'm a trooper and I, I came out of it intact. I didn't fully lose my sense of self. I feel like that, that sweet little creative, beautiful boy was there with me the whole time, just waiting on me to come back to him and love him again, but he never stopped loving me. Yeah. And high school was still a positive experience. I was really lucky to find a core group of friends and kind of like a community and marching band, which is a really big deal in the South. Oh, yeah. 
a quarter of my high school was in the marching band and what instrument trombone well of course <laughs> trombone's hard yeah yeah but it was so so fun and i think i was able to distract myself from having to grapple with those profound existential questions of who was i who am i can the two be congruent is this sustainable what will i do down the road will i have to confront myself again um i just didn't i didn't think about any of that i mean i have fleeting thoughts and then they were too scary and big so i just put them away and it's safer to play a role yeah it's safer not to think about who you really are yeah and i was really good at it i became an expert observer i observed boys at my school or at church who i perceived to be cool mm -hmm. straight of course and i emulated their their voice and mannerisms and demeanor and i like now i don't know what my true voice is because i changed it for so long to play that part like i was a really good actor and uh, i think I, that 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 high school experience those four years were the least traumatic of that closeted period because I still felt connection with others and I didn't have to grapple with the big questions or worry about getting married or you just yeah. were having as much fun as you were allowed yeah with the rules given <laughs> yeah exactly and at that time, my religion was really comforting to me, strangely to say it now, but I believed in it 100% and found a home in it. And my mom was a seminary teacher, like my seminary teacher, so I didn't, didn't really have a choice or reason to rebel against it at the time. It was... I, could, I made it work for me in a mostly happy, joyful way. And then I did a year of college at University of Georgia. And during that time, I saw a division between all the other, not all the other, but most of the other freshmen who were out partying and drinking. It was the number one party school in the nation at that time. Mm. So in my dorm, I, I was the only Mormon and I became the just kind of I developed a reputation for being like a straight edge guy who would walk to church by himself on Sundays while most of the campus was hung over yeah it was sleeping yeah so sleeping. we call it sleeping yeah it was getting caught up on their sleep yeah their rest yes. <laughs> and I I think I, I that was my armor that was my protective mechanism to not again to not be seen i was just a spiritual religious maybe christian <laughs> college student because they were didn't really know what mormons were and but i mean i explained and yeah believed fully all the tenets of my faith and prepared for a mission then i got my mission call and went to spain which is a really cool place to go. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. I went to Idaho. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so don't brag too much. 
All right, that's all I'll say. <laughs> I, I was in Madrid for a year and a half and then the Canary Islands for six months. <laughs> well, but I will say the men in Spain mm-hmm. are gorgeous. Yes. So that was a struggle to be there and, you know, look but not be able to do anything else. Yeah. But they're just effortlessly very handsome. Mm. And my mission, again, like my childhood, was a very comfortable healthy experience for me it wasn't traumatic almost at all i i really resonated with the structure of the mission and felt like for the first time in my life i was part of a brotherhood Mm -hmm. and experienced just healthy male intimacy that wasn't sexual but i think that was something that i was needing and craving that i didn't have words for just just like non-sexual platonic intimacy with men and living 24-7 with a man provides that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I was lucky to have great companions. Um, My mission solidified a lot of aspects of my personality that I didn't really know about before. Do you you want to expand on that? Sure. I'm able to relate and get along with mostly everyone and find something to connect with in people. And... um, Yeah, I'm just thinking about how beautiful that time was. It was like it stripped away some layers of shame because I was able to express these uh, aspects of myself that I hadn't really thought about since childhood. Mm -hmm. And there were moments in my life where I felt, sorry, moments on my mission where I felt like I could just be congruent and be fully integrated because I didn't have to talk about dating i didn't have to defend myself against anyone or defend myself to myself i could just focus on connection and love yeah Yeah. and um what else i learned on my mission that i i experienced love very deeply and i get i get attached to people who i feel close to and have trouble letting go and saying goodbye and yeah there were people i just loved with my whole heart uh, in in that country that now I think back and I'm like, huh, that was such a unique, magical time that almost like my childhood, I couldn't really process in the moment, but it's so, it's just something I'll never get back. It, It went by so fast. Yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. So... That's interesting. I guess, yeah, missions are missions are hard and beautiful, but it, I think it does take away a lot of edge of other things we'd be thinking about if we weren't on missions because you're so hyper-focused on what you're doing. There's not a lot of time to think about anything else. So it, it can be a real time of growth, I think. Um, so you never shared with your mission president or anyone. You're still deeply in the closet. Yeah, at age 21. I still haven't told Have you told anyone. yourself? I had said it out loud in prayers to God and I but I don't think I had written it in a journal. Hmm. But I had only said it out loud a handful of times to God. And did, I would and and just felt God, God felt, didn't answer you? Or did he? Um Did they? Did she? He Who knows? they <laughs> Yeah, I'm open to anything. Deity. <laughs> Right, the deity. Uh, 
told me at the time I felt just a lot of cloudiness. Mm-hmm. It was pretty nebulous. I didn't get a clear, like, lightning bolt of acceptance and love mm-hmm. from God. But I think that I was, I was so clouded within my own mind and heart. I wasn't really able to. You weren't ready to hear those words or to feel that confirmation. Yeah. Because then what would you do as a missionary? Exactly. Exactly. It was easier to just be hyper-focused on the work, as you said, and able to postpone having to think about all of that. Yeah. And just keep the my finger on the pause button a little longer. When I would have otherwise had to start confronting it. I mean, that's early 20s. That's the time. So I was devastated when my mission ended. I did not want to come home. I asked my mission president if I could extend forever <laughs> forever <laughs> like i'll do six four months or but he couldn't even find a way to let me stay another transfer but yeah i came home and then the really really dark days began i applied and got accepted to byu provo on the tail end of my mission so came back to georgia in september of 2011 uh worked Worked at a grocery store for a few months and then flew to Provo in January of 2012 and started BYU. And that that time was the most traumatic of my whole journey. It just wasn't and isn't a, a safe place to be gay. So for our listeners that maybe aren't affiliated or know much about the LDS Church, the Mormon Church, Brigham Young University is a school-sponsored school. And they have um, the honor code, and they do not do not acknowledge within the church or the church schools anything that someone could be gay or give them any kind of oh, what am I trying to say, Nathan? Support. Mm-hmm. So it can be a really lonely place being at a school that doesn't acknowledge your existence. Yeah. Do you want to Truly. talk about any of that, or is it just too? I, I can talk about it. It's probably good for me to Because talk I think about it. it's, you know, people just don't understand the depth of darkness and the depth of um, pain that goes on with our queer siblings that attend these, call, you know, these schools that are sponsored by the church. So if you're willing, I would love for you to share a few things that happened or that you felt when you were there. Yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely able to. I've been in therapy now for a few years and have done a lot of that work to open up those parts of my life in therapy so now I'm pretty much an open book which I'm grateful for yeah so I started BYU and I just never felt like I could find a place to call home there it like my looking back I just feel like my the whole time I was there my soul rejected that institution. My spirit wasn't safe there and it wasn't content. And I, I tried so hard to connect with, with the people and the, the programs and my major and it just didn't happen because at the end of the day, it's, it wasn't set up for me to be myself. Um, yeah, there was no acceptance in action if I were to come out as gay there. And so much has changed 
in 10 years. But when I was there in 2012, the only representation was the It Gets Better mm-hmm. project, which was a YouTube video done mm-hmm. by BYU students. I remember it well. Who were, yeah, who were out. And I watched that in awe and wonder and thought, wow, they are so brave. And I admired them, but I thought I could never do that. And I, again, I I was just so scared. And I think I, at that point, I had been living in secrecy for 11, 10 plus years that I was kind of comfortable in my hiding space. That was my, that was my go-to. You know, it's like when you're playing tag with someone and you you have base which is like a tree and it's like I kept going back to that tree and touching like I just wouldn't I stayed at base the whole time and they're like you have to you have to like keep running around and I was like no I'm I'm comfortable here I'll just stay at base I'm good in this in the shade but I wasn't I wasn't moving and I wasn't I wasn't growing in any way so BYU yeah I was just comfortably uncomfortable Hmm. and very interesting uh, comfortably uncomfortable yeah um I did a Spanish teaching major which was fine I I just didn't I wasn't I was lacking inspiration and excitement for any aspect of my life there I just kind of went through the motions and I thought okay I love Spanish because I learned it on my mission and I love teaching because one of the one of the best parts of my mission was teaching English classes to the community every week. So I thought I'll just combine them and be a Spanish teaching major and then teach Spanish the rest of my life. But there was really no thrill or passion in it. It's just what I thought others wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. I thought it would look good on paper and it would look good explaining it to my family and friends and it was noble but again that's symbolic of how I lived my life at the time um yeah I kind of lost touch with myself so who knows what major I would have picked what would what if you could pick right now if you were 21 years old school is completely accepting and loving of the queer community what would have you picked uh I think that's such a good question. I've never been asked that. I know. But the <laughs> <laughs> I'm good at those. You are. <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind that I feel good with is culinary school. Mm. I love food and I love cooking. That you're, It's not too late. I mean, I'm not going to be your therapist and tell you what you should do now, but it's not too late. You're right. I've thought about it. There's some really cool schools, I think, like in Park City or classes you could take. and Yeah. Yeah, I think it might be in in the cards for the future. Yeah, we're thinking about this. Anyway, so you, and I think, to be fair, I think a lot of kids that go to college sort of adopt or major something that they think their parents will be proud of or make their, you know, give them clout. And I think a lot of kids graduate with not knowing why they chose that major. (laughs) Yeah, pretty common struggle. So... Yeah, and I had roommates who were going through the same thing. Mm-hmm. 
so BYU was it I guess it is hard to talk about because there's not much to talk about. It was just the same the same kind of level of darkness throughout darkness and fear and shame like I just was terrified of being found out like being perceived as gay by my roommates or accidentally slipping or talking too much with my hands or sitting with my legs crossed but not in a masculine way I was so calculated in every move that it consumes you yeah, yeah, and I had crushes on roommates because it w- I was consumed by it, so I was fixated on that. So then, like, my sexuality came almost to surface level. It was like a pressure cooker that, I mean, I've heard that analogy a lot, but that's really what it felt like that was about to explode and was steaming so much because I, it was just very apparent at BYU, like, crushes on roommates and... Lots of attractive guys at BYU, like in my ward and in classes, and and also I had the pressure to date and get married, so I was still I was still dating women at the time, mm-hmm. and lots of first dates. But I also had two girlfriends while I was at BYU, and one I dated for eight months, which is a long time there at that time. <laughs> if you're Mormon, yeah, and we almost got engaged, but. I, something in me told me that that wouldn't be fair or healthy for either one of us. So I, I broke up with her and that was hard. It was just all very discouraging. There wasn't a lot of light or hope or relief, like no rest for the weary. If uh, at, yeah, at that time of my life. So I, rushed through BYU. I did like 18 credits every semester and took spring, summer, winter, and fall semesters just to get out of there. But I was completely burned out. Like my cup was already empty and then it was just negative by the end. And was only there three three years because I had done a year before my mission. So it sounds like your mental health really struggled. Yeah. And I don't remember a lot of that time hmm. because I've I've learned like the science behind it that the brain the brain shuts away some traumatic memories to protect you and then at some point you have an experience that just opens them opens that box and I've had some of that since I've come out but a lot of a lot of those years I don't I can't recollect. Hmm. I just remember feeling hopeless and sad. Like, I, I, I have very few pictures of me from that time, but the few that I do have, it's not good. Like, I look and I see it's, it's physically me, but there's just a lot of sadness behind my eyes and a very forced smile and, like, slumped shoulders. Like you said, your spirit wasn't there. Yeah rejected Mm -hmm. that's pretty powerful yeah (laughs) so graduated in December 2014 and that felt like a weight was lifted instantly and then started 
substitute teaching while I was looking for a job. And I, oh, I should mention, I came out to my dad right after my yeah, mission. Yeah, let's mention that. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> we'll backtrack. Why don't we just mention little that bit. little part? <laughs> I don't know. Because it was such like a uh, outlier in my experience. Sometimes I skip over that. But it is worth noting, the day after I got home from my mission, I, my parents, so my parents got divorced while I was on my mission. Oh, no. Okay. They separated right, like, weeks before okay. I went into the MTC. And oh, then, okay. So you knew. Yeah. yeah. I knew, but then the divorce was while I was on my mission. My dad got remarried while I was on my mission. So I came home and there was a lot of adjustment. So my parents were living in separate houses, obviously. And that also felt, I, I just feel like everything was turbulent mm-hmm. at that time. And the day after I got home from my mission, I went to visit my dad at his new house and we just talked and caught up and then I left but I, I remember I got in my car and went in reverse out of his driveway out of his driveway and then something compelled me to go back inside so I parked the car and went back inside and my dad was still on the couch and I said dad there's something I need to talk to you about and I remember my heart was beating so hard but I also felt this sense of calm like it was okay and uh And my dad, being the gentle, open-loving human and therapist and psychologist he is, just said, yeah, you can talk to me about anything. So I told him, I'm attracted to men. I didn't use the word gay. I didn't even use the word same-sex attracted that the LDS church used and uses. I just said, I'm attracted to men, and I don't know what to do about it. And he just... He just looked me in the eyes with complete and total love. I also cry a lot, so I'm not going to apologize for it. <laughs> but <laughs> I've got something for you. <laughs> yeah, both my parents were cry are criers, and um, yeah, some of the story I just don't talk about a lot, but it's very meaningful and emotional for me. Um, and my dad, he just listened, and I was like, "Yeah, it's it's really hard and confusing." And I've known since I was 11. And he said, he was like, I I know, I've known. Because I see you and I love you. And I, I just, I always knew. But it didn't change how I felt about you. And I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to hear that. To me at the time, that felt like a failure. Like my defenses had failed. I... I right. had I had been seen like my plan didn't work. He, my my dad saw through my my armor, and that kind of scared me. Even though now I'm grateful he said that. Like what what's comforting now was terrifying men. That's how mm-hmm. much I've changed. And he said, "What what are you gonna do about it? What's your plan?" And I was like, "I'm I'm gonna go to BYU, and I think I'm just not gonna I'm not gonna think about it, and I'm gonna focus on." Um, my religion and my studies and I'll kind of cross that bridge when I come to it and I he looked at me with kind of heaviness in his eyes and he was like that's going to be a hard journey but I love you and I'm here for you whenever you want to talk about this more but I will respect your terms for it and not I won't bring it up again until you're ready and he just said, he said all the right things. And I love my dad so much for that. But I, I responded like, okay, great talk. Bye. <laughs> I just rushed out of there. 
gotta go the car's running yeah (laughs) and i sat in the car and was shaking and i was like what have i just done i wasn't gonna tell anyone and because talking to him about it made it real and i didn't want to confront it or accept it yet so i just went back into the closet for more than four years after that so then fast forward to me graduating byu i was dating another woman who was in my singles ward and we were getting pretty serious but i had my diploma so that that kind of that barrier and fear had been removed because i no longer had to be in fear of like being reported to the honor code office and having my you know being expelled like it was too late they couldn't do anything about it so I, i started considering the possibility of coming out and i felt like i owed it to to me and this woman i was dating to tell her so it was the scariest thing i've ever done but we sat in my car and i told her i have same-sex attraction and she she was she was great she listened and she was like have you am i the first person you've ever told and um i said besides my dad and she looked at me and she's like nathan i'm not i'm not you but i just feel like you you have to tell your family like it's so sweet that you told me but they deserve to know this this part of you like this is a big big deal and she was like you you got to tell your mom she said she specifically mentioned my mom and i was like you're you're right okay i'm gonna call her right now so so i called my mom that night and told her and so my mom to give some context she died in september of 2015 she had uh cerebral vasculitis which is a rare brain disease that the doctors didn't diagnose for a while because it is so rare and confused so similar to other diseases and conditions but she got sick in may and died in september so it was pretty quick mm-hmm. and this was a, this was january 28th 2015 so just a few months before she got sick i i didn't know that her time was so short but i haven't even processed this until this moment i think i believe that everything happens for a reason and that events in life are connected to to help you to be the best most fulfilled happy version of yourself and i think that at some level some higher power you know god maybe set some things in motion so that the girl i was dating put that bug in my ear to tell my mom so that i could tell her before well it was too late while she was still here on earth and i told her that night and she was deeply religious um like very very devout mormon and most of my siblings had left left the mormon church my dad had left the mormon church i think she kind of had me on on a pedestal as like her last hope yeah yeah to get married in the temple and so far i had checked all of the boxes and checked all of her boxes of the golden mormon boy so what i said really rattled her and i i just i didn't i didn't give her a lot of time to breathe i was like mom i have same-sex attraction and i'm like really gay (laughs) and and she was 
for the first time in my life, speechless. She was a woman who never ran out of words, could like talk a mile a minute and very, very conversational and lively, but she was just silent on the other side of the phone because she was in St. George at the time and I was in Provo and I just felt very urgently like I needed to tell her that night. Looking back, I wish it had been a conversation in person, but it's just the way it happened. And she was like, I need some time to think about this. I I'm, I love you, but this is just really hard for me to hear. And thank you for telling me. I just need to process this. So that didn't last a long time. The next, so we, she hung up the phone and then the next day she texted me and she said, I'm just thinking about what you told me and I like wasn't able to sleep and I'm just thinking about how miraculous and wonderful it is that you've stepped out of darkness into light and I'm here for you in this journey and like count on me to help you and I love you and I support you and that was like the most meaningful thing to hear just because now I had acceptance from both my parents and my dad had told I had given my dad well I had I had told my stepmom and she's also a therapist and she's wonderful and she was great and accepting so just those those few words hearing them from the people who I trusted most of my life lifted and erased so much shame for me and I've learned that over the years um life has taught me and my story has taught me that when in like when in doubt when someone struck once someone close to you is struggling with something and you don't know what to say just say something maybe your words won't be perfect but just let them know you love them and it doesn't have to be a big grandiose eloquent expression like a a long a long text message you can just say i'm here for you and i love you and you're safe with me and that's all it takes that's all it took for me to start coming out of my shell and um returning returning to to light and healthiness to that little boy yeah yeah coming back to him um, so then I started telling more people in my life, just, just a close family. I told my siblings, I told my... How many siblings do you have? Three. Okay. I should have mentioned that earlier. Yeah, oh. I have two, two older sisters. There we go. And a younger brother. Okay. So I'm the third of four, but the oldest boy. Mm-hmm. And how did they respond to that? Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. And I realize I'm fortunate because I didn't experience any rejection from my immediate family. Mm-hmm. And they were all on board, and uh, no one no one saw it coming. Like, to everyone I came out, people said, I never would have guessed. And that means, I mean, at, at the time I was like, yes, my plan worked. I, yeah, <laughs> maybe dad just read it wrong because yeah. <laughs> everyone else is fooled. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. but now my perspective has changed and I'm like, oh, that's that's definitely a reason to mourn and be sad that I I felt 
that I was given that shame and felt that need to hide who I was and change who I was for so long. Mm-hmm. And that I cons- considered that a badge of honor. Yeah. I never should have been given that expectation. Right. And uh, I, I really did believe for all of this time that there was something wrong with me, that I was defective, that I was somehow wrong and not even broken, just just wrong. I don't I don't know how else to say it, but I, I thought that okay, I know that this isn't a choice. I didn't choose this. I just I remember the exact occasion when I was going through puberty where I saw an actor on the Disney Channel and thought he was real like was a attracted to him Mm -hmm. I didn't choose that but my church was telling me that that you shouldn't feel what I felt so I thought okay God must have been mad at me or made me wrong and that really affected me like my 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 sense of self and I was so self-critical for so long And I developed a lot of perfectionistic tendencies and a feeling like I had to work really hard to be deserving of anything good. And even when I got anything good, I second-guessed it and didn't think I was worthy of it. And I'm still working through some of that stuff. But I had a point last year where it was like an epiphany. I was just... One day I, I realized... It was like a light bulb in my brain, and I said out loud, there was never anything wrong with me. And I just kept saying that in my car until I believed it. And it was like so nourishing and replenishing just to say that out loud. And to It was like revel, revelatory for me. <laughs> um, and yeah, there was never anything wrong with that little boy. And... Now I want, I just feel this need to like protect, protect anyone who might feel like there's something wrong with them, that they've been told by, by a system or a religion or a person that they're at some level bad or wrong or flawed or broken. I just feel this protective instinct over them and don't want anyone to feel, feel that same, um, darkness that I did so I I feel like now it's kind of like a superpower I have from having gone through that just this perception and this ability to empathize and to really to see people who are in deep pain and to be able to just love them and um yeah help them help them accept themselves and see that they're okay so I, I um I sense that when you're in that car and saying I was never broken was that the phrase you used the uh, the phrase was there was never anything wrong with me. there was never anything wrong with me did you believe that was there a moment in that car when you were saying that where it just you internalized that and just sort of born again sort of just I don't know like a powerful moment where it this is where it stops. Yeah. 
it felt like fire throughout my whole body. I was, I was shaking and I, I had to actually get out of the car and just weep. And I, like I, I, I broke down. It was like an emotional breakdown, but in a, in a very healing way. Like I, I just had to get all of that. Almost like you had to break before you could rebuild or move forward. Yeah. That's what it felt like. An electric current that, yeah, broke me so that I could be put back together in that moment. It was, it was powerful. And I did believe it, to answer your question. Yeah. After, after a few times. And, uh, and now I still do. (laughs) Yeah. So how did your life change, um, from that moment, that very powerful moment where you internalized what you were saying and you knew it was true? Um, it, it just kept getting more, more happy for me. Um, I mean, yeah, after my, my mom died in 2015, I, I went through more darkness, just trying to like reconcile that grief. And I was really, really, really close to my mom, especially after I came out, we she just supported me so much through those initial stages of figuring out my sexuality and I'll always cherish that time I had with her. And now I like talk to her sometimes and say, Hey mom, I'm struggling with this aspect of being gay. And I know it brings me comfort to know that she knows and that she knew while she was here. Um, but yeah, then I started, um, I like had another girlfriend, but swore, just we broke up and I kind of swore off dating women and then I was that's probably a good that I'm gonna compliment you on that decision oh thanks yeah it felt (laughs) I no more women Nathan you're gay (laughs) yeah I'm proud of myself for yeah for seeing seeing that and but then I tried the whole single and celibate thing for three years and that wow you really were gonna yeah. Yeah. You were still in the church. You're going to, even though you knew from that experience in the car, it, the light still didn't come on that you have permission to be who you are. You were still sort of playing a role. Yeah, I still was. And simultaneously coming out to more and more people. Right. Like right. it went from just immediate family to my best friend in the whole world to close friends and then by 2019 it was anyone who asked or if it came up in conversation (laughs) anyone that didn't ask yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. you just have to continually I mean I hear that a lot of times like we don't realize you're continually sort of coming out if you're at a new workplace or if you're with new you know it's like continually coming out right lifetime of coming out yeah has to be exhausting yeah it it is, and also it's great practice for just being self assured and and probably in your you case are. it was liberating because finally you were comfortable enough to just be who you were. No yeah. Apologies. Yeah, that's a perfect word for it. It felt liberating. So then in 2019 I came out to the world. I guess I did. Well, I had a my first romantic experience ever with a guy, mm-hmm. and that just 
changed everything. Like, mm-hmm. all we did was hold hands and cuddle. That was the first time? Yeah. Before the age of 29, I hadn't flirted. I hadn't wow. held a guy's hand. I hadn't kissed. Been on a date. I, I mean, I was so, um, so diligent in, like, following the... In your righteousness. Yeah, in my righteousness. <laughs> Oh, I roll, <laughs> oh. but letting that, like letting that moment happen, and just leaning into that, that intimacy, it felt so good. Just holding a guy's hand, and being on a date, like it was the happiest I had felt in years, and I felt like God accepted me and was smiling with me in those moments, mm-hmm. and I knew ex- instantly, like, oh, what I have what I was taught about this was wrong. Like I was taught that when I acted on my same sex attraction, that I would feel removed from God's love and light and feel evil and dark and sinful. And it was exactly the opposite. So then that gave me courage. And I thought, what am I waiting for? So I just did a Facebook post and it was amazing. I got so many comments from people of all parts of my life. 100% supportive and accepting and it felt amazing I just kept reading and rereading those comments in like just it felt like this warm hug that never ended and I just wanted to absorb absorb it and then I moved to Kansas City Missouri and like I left Utah drove drove to Kansas City and I did it in two days and the night like the first day in the hotel room that night, I posted on Facebook my coming out post. Okay. So I needed a clean break from Utah. Right, before you could just come out and be you, like, yeah. Yeah, and then I emerged into this new place with a fresh slate mm-hmm. and clean slate, fresh start, and just started. In Kansas. Th- yeah. Well, Missouri, Kansas City, Missouri. Oh, There's Kansas- also a Kansas City, Kansas. Okay, well, it, we're there- just missing, like, <laughs> I'm not catching all the locations here. So Kansas no, City... It's Missouri. Yeah, which is very confusing. I don't yeah. know why. why but it's can't, the, why couldn't they use a different name? The capital of Missouri is Kansas, <laughs> Kansas City. City. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Well, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah. that's where you were. Yeah. Was your family there or? Yeah, my sister and her family were, were there. So okay. I stayed with them for a while and I got my own place. But my other sister and her kids lived in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So I was around family. I had a lot of support. And I felt this confidence to just be myself and present however I wanted to because there was no one who knew me before. Right. And it was such a great time in my life. And I started dating and and then COVID hit and that kind of like ruined some of my fun. Yeah. But yeah. And then I moved back here because I was... I was dating someone in a long distance relationship, like my first long term relationship with a man. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we dated for over a year. And that relationship was so important and helpful for me. And mm-hmm. I learned greater confidence and self love and self respect and um, just lots of lots of parts of myself that were still hidden emerged in that relationship and surfaced and allowed me greater greater access to myself and the world and yeah 
it was such a such a beautiful relationship and then we we broke up in December almost a year ago and now I'm back back in the dating scene and every day is exciting and an adventure and and now I feel like I just have a greater perspective of life like I'm not I'm no longer so attached to outcome and thinking about this vague scary future I'm just really focused on the present moment and more connected with myself than ever like comfortable in my body able to contextualize struggles and hard days and realize that that's not the end all be all that there's always a up when there's a down and none of none of none of that would be possible if I hadn't come out and I believe that I was that everything happened you know events were put into place to help me to come out at exactly the time I was ready and for me it was 29 for some people it's 16 for some people they're in their 40s or 50s or later and everyone has a different journey but Mm -hmm. I but for me it it was nice to come out at 29 because I could turn a new leaf when I turned 30 and kind of take take from my 20s uh the things that I learned but put the old stale unhealthy things to rest yeah and I've been doing a lot of therapy to just be able to talk about what I've been through and what I still haven't healed from and mm-hmm. every day I'm healing. So as, that's kind of my story. As we all are, right? <laughs> yeah. As we all are, you know, the the thing about kids is like we hear things or young you know, even middle school, whatever, we hear things and we carry them with us. A lot of times we don't realize they're still with us. So I'm glad you've, you're doing therapy and that you're in such a great place and that you've revisited that sweet boy that was so creative and unapologetic. Is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> Apologetic for, That's a perfect word. for what you want to, you know, want to wear and express yourself and what you want to involve your activities, your hobbies. I mean, what freedom, right? Oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it feels so good. <laughs> Life is just... <laughs> Life is unfolding so many, yeah, for you now. So many doors. And before I saw kind of the world in black and white, and then it's like... And a tree. And what? Well, you sat by the tree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you right. were, I just you stayed were moving. Safe, safe at base. But... You were safe at base, but now you're moving. Yeah, and the world is in technicolor. Like, it's so many beautiful shades of meaning. And, and I'm, yeah, I'm moving. I don't know toward what, but it'll it'll just flow and unfold. And I'm just figuring yeah. it out, and it's exciting. I love that you're living day by day and not thinking, what you know, what do I... What do I have to do? What am I going to be? Where am I going to be in five years? I think those conversations are somewhat important, but I think many times speaking about myself, I lose the joy in today. Like today I breathe and today I'm alive. We're never promised tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a powerful lesson to learn. Yeah. We take all of this for granted, you know, living. Yeah. We do. But life is such a gift. Yeah. And it's so 
it's so beautiful and it's so complex and big and it's just one big lesson but but it's it's worth it to lean in and like meet the moment whatever it is and just try to pull as much love and honesty and vulnerability as we can out of it yeah well i can feel like of your i don't know your goodness and your excitement for life and um i don't know i'm excited for you new beginnings you know new beginnings thank you so many times, um, I haven't done this for a while, but I'd like to ask my guests if you could give any advice to the kids listening to this podcast and then advice to the parents. Um, it sounds like your parents, when you came out, did it pretty much A-plus style. Um, but what, what advice would you give? I would tell any kid who is experiencing any kind of struggle or maybe lack of lack of confidence with yourself or just trying to figure out your yourself and your sexuality or any aspect of your identity I would say take the time you need there's no rush um, honor honor yourself honor your heart I, I would say you're you're exactly who you're meant to be and you have a lot to offer to the world and you're who you are for a reason. So there will be, there are, and there will be people who love to support you and will love to support you and see you be freely yourself because the world really needs what you have and you can, you can access more of yourself and your, your unique gifts and abilities when when you can connect with all parts of yourself, but it's okay to not, to not know and just be open to the journey of self-discovery. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say to any parents, um, I think my parents were really great, great, um, examples of what to say, but you don't have to say much. Just say, I love you. Like express, yeah, express your love and make sure it's unconditional. And uh, yeah, don't put terms and conditions. Just establish yourself as a safe person over and over again. Like be open to your child's experience. I'm not a parent myself, but but this is just from what I've learned. But you play one in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. No, I think your perspective is important because we can learn from the community how we should respond as parents or any any... I, th I think that when someone comes out to an individual, now I see it as the greatest honor because it signals to someone that you're a safe space, that I can tell you my most intimate <laughs> part of myself. Like, to me, that's a, such a compliment to any human being. So I hope the parents out there, because I am a parent and I have been through this, and I don't know, I'm sure I could have done it better when my son came out, but wow, what an honor. When your kid or, or anyone will share that with you. Yeah. It is. I love how you said that. <laughs> it really is an honor. And a, a nourishing experience for both yeah. people. It's, it's sacred space. It's sp sacred ground, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, we need that. 
Well, Nathan, this has been a wonderful podcast. Thank you so much for coming into the studio on this rainy, probably snowy by the time we get out night, where it gets Yay. dark at three o'clock, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> driving all the way from almost yeah. Provo. So um, we just really, really um, feel your story is important. And I'd like to encourage my Human Stories family to share these stories, share Nathan's story with anyone that you feel will benefit from the things that he's been through in his life. I think that through the stories we will become better humans, that we will love better, that we will show up better for each other. Yeah, thank you. This has been so (laughs) wonderful. And I just want to thank you for what you do. There's so much power in the work that you do to, to give people the space to share their story and to to have that that magical kind of healing and connection uh, yeah. so I really appreciate you wow I love you Nathan Kunkel love you too thank you for being here and let's keep doing the good and let's keep being friends yes <laughs> <laughs> I Absolutely. would love that all right Well, have a great evening or day or whenever you're listening to this. And this is Jill Hazard-Rowe with Human Stories.